Magandang araw, podmates. Howie Severino muli na nagpapaalala na nakakatalino ang mahabang attention span. Ang kasama ko ngayon ay isa na namang dakilang Pilipino. Pero isa siya sa pinakabata kong naging guest, all of 23 years old. Pero ang dami na niyang nagawa. Hilary Diane Andales, who just graduated from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology last year with all kinds of honors, majoring in physics. MIT, of course, is one of the leading science institutions in the world. Una ko siyang nakilala bilang isang uh, uh, high school student uh, na tingin ko noon ay uh, isa na siyang uh, prodigy. You know? uh, dahil nanalo na siya ng uh, uh, prestigyosong uh, award, yung tinatawag na Oscars ng Science, the Breakthrough Challenge. Para sa kanyang uh, napaka-creative at informative na science videos. Uh, so she is also a science communicator, so you will find her beautiful content on various platforms. So uh, without further ado, magandang araw sa iyo dyan sa Boston, Massachusetts, Hillary, and congratulations on your remarkable journey. Magandang araw po, and of course, thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah, uh, well, uh, as I mentioned, no, Hillary, uh, and I hope you remember, I, I first met you after you won that award and I read about it and then uh, kinumbida kita sa uh, bumisita sa GMA Network. Uh, just to put uh, ourselves on your radar because we knew that you had such a promising future because uh, the Breakthrough Challenge is a major global uh, award in science and, and you you were the, the, I think, the grand prize winner doon sa youth uh, category, you know, and that helped you get into uh, Massachusetts uh, Institute of uh, Technology. You know? So so you've had a, a most unusual, um, uh, very impressive journey. Ikat, no? Sa abroad, uh, yung mga, yung mga, mga estudyante sa, sa Manila na may, may mga advantages of being in the capital, di ba? Going to these big uh, elite schools, etc. But, you know, you you grew up in the province. You grew up uh, not even in not even in Tacloban. You grew up in a in a, a much smaller place in in Leyte, which you know, which makes you even more unusual. No, so, ang una kong tanong, uh, Hillary, no, how does that feel, no, to come from Abuyog, Leyte, and then make it to two of the leading universities in the world, and and basically, you're, you know, the the world has become your oyster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for the very kind words, and for me, my the fact that my hometown is Abuyog is a point of pride for me because as you said not many you know people typically think of these provinces as not homes for you know amazing talent especially in the sciences and I felt this very early on in my in my childhood so back then I went to a very small school Gabaldon Central School but but even then, it was still the biggest uh, public school in the town. And kahit na, kahit na under-researched yung school namin, my mentors were very dedicated. But throughout all that, I think my um, the most impactful influences really in shaping me from, you know, coming to Obuyog to, you know, MIT, the, leadest, the leading university in the world is my parents, talaga. So back then, we were we lived in this very small neighborhood in Abuyog, one of the poorest neighborhoods in Abuyog, in fact. And actually, I can't say that for sure that it's one of the poorest neighborhoods. But the vision that my parents had, you know, they had such grand visions of the world. Na kahit andun kami sa Abuyog, they kept inspiring me with the great scientists of the world. So when I was younger, instead of telling me stories about fairy tales, 
they would tell me stories about Albert Einstein and how his, you know, idea changed the world, Marie Curie, and how she broke down barriers and was such a genius during her time, also Charles Darwin. And these stories really motivated me to look beyond boundaries, that such that boundaries didn't even exist for me anymore. And that kind of seed planted in me, at, you know, as a five-year-old, six-year-old, really just made me the person that I am today. And I'm very thankful for my parents for that. Now that I think about it, now that I've met a lot more Filipino students, I don't think I'm that unusual at all, actually. So I'm part of this mentoring network called Cost Philippines. We are a nonprofit that mentors uh, underprivileged Filipino high school students, and we help them get into schools abroad, get scholarships abroad. And I meet so many of these amazing young students coming from very humble backgrounds, getting, you know, scholarships into places like Harvard or Princeton. And this is just inspiring to me that there are so many talented students all over the Philippines and not just in the capital. Well, okay, I want to get back to the uh, subject of your parents. I'm interested uh, as a parent myself, no? And a lot of parents might be listening, no? So w what did your parents actually do aside from telling you stories about scientists? I mean, were they tiger parents? Na, because some kids become successful because talagang, uh, you know, they're being driven by, by equally driven parents. Tinatakot ka ba? pressure ka? Or was it a lot of... Uh, Carrots long or was there carrot stick? I mean, what 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 kind of parenting produces a kid like you? Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> I think my parents, I wouldn't classify my parents definitely as tiger parents, but my parents had expectations and my parents had, you know, goals and visions for what they believed a successful career would look like. So my parents, they both graduated from the University of San Carlos. That's where they met. And my dad finished chemistry and my mom studied accountancy. And but even Excuse then, that, sorry, that, University of San Carlos is in Cebu. Yes, in Cebu. Okay, just want yeah, okay, just wanted yes. to clarify that. Mm. And they had this mutual interest in science, and you know, just in reading in general. And in the course of their you know twenties in their formative years, they started forming this vision of you know what what kind of achievements out there in the world existed. And because their vision was not limited to where they were, they had this kind of bigger context in which to place themselves. So yung, yung parents go at the, since I was very young, they already knew kind of, um, they were always on the lookout for things to do for me, you know, to try to get me to be interested in many things. <laughs> so my mom, one time she saw this Jollibee commercial with Carmela Lau in it. And Carmela Lau was our very first um, silver medalist of the International Mathematical Olympiad. And more, even more, she was a young woman. And that inspired my mom so much. And she was like, oh, Hillary, you should look at this commercial. Be inspired. <laughs> that was, um, that's why, uh, you know, they started getting me into math. And I did math. As a result of that, I did math competitions from grade one up until grade 12. And my dad also, he was very aware of but, these. But how did you feel about that? I mean, how did you feel now? Your your mom kind of, I mean, your mom kind of pushed you into doing the math. That was okay with you. I mean, you enjoyed it. You didn't, you never felt like, uh, oh, I'd rather be playing outside rather than be preparing for these uh, math competitions. I mean, grade one, math competitions at grade one. I mean, in grade one, I just wanted to be in the playground, you know, and uh, be with my friends. Uh, yeah. I, that was okay the, with you. I 
in the beginning when I was very young I was very okay with it because I enjoyed math and math gave me a lot of confidence in myself and to me it was like play because I was very good at it it felt like you know fun (laughs) and but later on when I was you know a tween teenager friends I I found new hobbies that were not you know that were not given to me by my parents I, I started there was a bit of a clash like my dad would I had a competition coming up parang science quiz bi tapos hindi ako nag-aaral <laughs> Be- mm-hmm. because I wanted to play this game um so there was kind of a clash where my dad would have to put me you know you know make me remind me of discipline so that I could win the competition but it wasn't really just I also had my own desires of winning the competition so it wasn't exclusively from my parents as I grew up, I discovered more of my own interests, and um, they were very open um, to that. Okay, uh, well, gosh, congratulations to your parents as well, no? So you 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 sound like uh, you even welcome no uh, all these opportunities as as a six year old, as a seven year old, no? So it's actually worked out. So what? Uh, I you know I need to give an idea to our listeners about what you're into as a young scientist because you know that's. That's why I'm also interviewing you, uh, not not just not just because you have great parents, but uh, because you're accomplished on your own. Uh, I just want to quote from uh, an an intro on one of your platforms. You introduce yourself as uh, someone who studies how ultra faint dwarf galaxies form. So I'm quoting from your intro. No, they are the oldest galaxies in the cosmos. Uh, you call them cosmic fossils, which give us clues about. What the early universe uh, looked like, no? So uh, at this point, siguro ibang listeners natin nagno nosebleed na about you know, cosmic fossils. I mean, fossils, dinosaur fossils are already kind of esoteric, no? Pero cosmic fossils. Uh, well, anyway, ang tanong ko lang of all the things to study, why cosmic fossils or you know the oldest galaxies in the cosmos? Uh, just in a nutshell, uh, Hillary. Yes. So actually, I found myself in this field of studying ultrafine dwarfs by chance. So, <laughs> no, no COVID summer, I couldn't find any research opportunities. And my friend was like, oh, does anyone else want to take this research opportunity? Because I accidentally signed up for another one. So I just grabbed that one. And I found out that the research group was studying these very old stars and very old galaxies. And I found it very interesting. And because I felt very well supported in the group, um, they were very good mentors. And they really you know, teach me everything from the basics up until what I know now. So I stayed in the group. So this is actually a, the story of many different scientists. Now, they find themselves in a particular field by chance. We don't. A lot of us don't premeditate about the specific subfield that we're in. And why I think ultrafaint dwarfs are fascinating is... Um, is a also a different story. Well, as we as you know, you mentioned dinosaur fossils, right? So archaeologists use these fossils. They dig up these fossils from the ground so that we can learn about what the early Earth was like, what the climate was like, what the animals look like, and we kind of do the same thing. So in we call ourselves actually galactic and stellar archaeologists because we find these very old stars and very old galaxies and we look at their properties. So, you know, how bright they are, what kind of elements are in there. So, you know, do they have 
Maybe do they have gold in them? Do they have iron in them? Do they have this element called europium in them? Looking at those elements, looking at what they're made of, how bright they are, how far they are from our own galaxy, um, we can learn about the early universe. Because these oldest galaxies, they were born in the old, old times of the universe, the first billion years. Our universe right now, we believe it to be around 13.8 billion years old, which is a long time. So that's the time from the Big Bang where everything started and from until now. <laughs> but these ultra faint dwarf galaxies, we believe were born in the first few billion years. And because they were born then, we believe that by studying them, um, by studying them using our own very advanced telescopes, we can, you know, gain kind of a glimpse or a flashback into what the early universe was like. Wow. I mean, I'm I'm kind of blown away, uh, Hillary, you know, because uh, I was a history major in college. Pero, so, but, but for me, 500 years was already a long time. In fact, that's a longer time than what most historians are interested in. No, most Filipino historians are just interested in the last 150 years, no, since Rizal's time. It's a, but you were just talking about billions of years so uh, anyway what you're doing and and thinking about is is way beyond uh my imagination so uh before i ask you anything about uh, else about science i i, I just want to say you know that uh what really impresses me about you uh is not even the science because m much of that i don't even understand uh but despite the advanced nature of your academic interests you're very engaged with the rest of the world you know uh i find it very uh admirable and very difficult no um because I would assume that uh, to succeed in something so specialized, it, you would have to be totally focused. Right? Most people are. I mean, to succeed in something, you'd have to, you know, the 10,000 hour theory of excelling in something, you really have to uh, be, be totally into it. And, and many of you who are into science are extremely focused on very narrow uh, research interests, which can be uh, consuming. So. Uh, and, and I'm sure you've, you've had this persona of being a geek early on, someone who was obviously academically inclined. But yet even with this interest in cosmic fossils, uh, you've been able to maintain an interest in politics, even democracy movements. You've, you know, you've expressed support for the Hong Kong democracy movement in your tweets. Uh, you're interested in free speech. You know, I've read some of your papers. Uh, and you've, you've even called for being critical about your field, about science, you know, being skeptical about the motives of scientists, etc. No, so... Uh, so, ang, ang question ko lang is, when did you decide that you were going to be this kind of scientist? I started developing some kind of consciousness for um, science in society when I was in Philippine Science High School. Because a lot of the, some scholars of Pisay, mm -hmm. as we call Philippine Science mm -hmm. High School, they go on. They go on to UP and then they are, they're activists. But for me, myself, my own flashpoint was really early 2020 because that was when mm. covid was happening and um i started realizing really how you know equity in particular vaccine equity or you know how policies and our understanding of the virus our understanding of treatments really go together in this very complicated um complicated mess and another thing that also was very formative for me or kind of transformative was you know the black lives matter movement as well um in the u.s so i was in the u.s during that time and i kept i, I kept myself very updated and as that movement was happening of course as a filipino i didn't have as much awareness about america's unique history with slavery but i started reading for reading further and i discovered all of the atrocities 
that were committed against black people, sometimes even in the name of science. So some scientists um, were, you know, experimenting on black people. And that right now is, you know, a terrible, unconscionable crime. So realizing all of these things, na kahit these things na science was actually involved in these things, these very deep issues in society was really such a uh, transformative event for me. And mm-hmm. in, it just made so much sense. Now, why would I limit myself to science when, you know, science, in order for science to actually be a tool to help humanity, which is what I believe science should be, in order for it to be a tool to help humanity, scientists should not limit themselves to the, just the study itself. We need to be more conscious about, you know, what the greater effects are. And one example of that is, you know, the big movie going on right now, which is Oppenheimer. And Oppenheimer was deeply troubled by his contributions to the atomic bomb later on. And so that's why he was, you know, uh, he was a vocal opponent. He was very much against nuclear weapons, basically. Mm-hmm. And I I started learning more about scientists who were activists, who, who you know, thought deeply about whether studying bacteria was going to lead into something more or studying genes was going to lead into, you know, something more, um, something deeper that we had to think about. So mm-hmm. that was my I- own background. Yeah, and uh, you know, part of this engagement is being critical of policy, policymakers, political leaders, the government, diba? And uh, you posted uh, a message from one of your bashers, <laughs> na basically saying, na, "Stick to science." No, masyado ka pang bata para magkomentaryo tungo sa politika. Uh, you, masyado kang naive, and you don't really know what you're talking about, etc. And then you pushed back, no. Um, you know, sabi mo, you know, science seeks to discover truths about the universe, however inconvenient these truths may be. Uh, to be apolitical as a scientist is to turn against truth. To be apolitical is to reject the very spirit of science. No? So basically, you're a very young scientist. If if a lot of older scientists, you know, like like Oppenheimer uh, himself, uh, you know, had done this soul searching before they invented the atomic bomb, maybe we'd be in a in a better place. And I think that's that's basically what you're saying. Uh, you know, because of because of the kind of uh, damage that science can do. Uh, you know, we, we really need to to have more of a conscience. We really need to be more skeptical and critical of of what we do. You know? And speaking of which, and I know this is probably part of your conversations with a lot of people there, artificial intelligence. Okay, there are various camps about this, but you know, I read this I read this statement from. Um, technology leaders about uh, maybe uh, uh, more than a month ago, maybe two months ago, about saying that artificial intelligence has the potential to cause the extinction of the human species. No? Um, uh, technology leaders, you know, and uh, you know, that better you'll also hear from others who are saying, oh, those people just want a monopoly <laughs> on uh, artificial uh, intelligence. They, that's why they want it regulated, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they're actually, you know, it's actually much more beneficial uh, than harmful. Et but, I, you know, where do you stand on, on AI? Anong... Because uh, since you, you know you've you've been you've been thinking about the ethics of science and technology and uh, what is AI really capable of doing and uh, is is there a way of of stopping its worst worst effects? So you know, um, for me, I just want to preface this by saying that I don't study AI and its social implications myself because so I'm not an expert in it. But 
I've had some experience reading with, you know, as you said, the, some opinions of some technology leaders about how it could potentially end the world. And for me, I'm not really in that camp. Like, I don't believe it can end the world. Mm. And in terms of speaking about, you know, what things can end the world, what things should we focus our attention on, the thing that we should really be focusing on is climate change. Because yun talaga, and we we're facing some very, you know, unprecedented times, you know, the sea, the sea levels are rising, Antarctic ice is melting, and then marami pang migrations and so on. So this is really the thing that we should be thinking about if we really want to think about the end of the world. And if you want to think about the end of the world, you need to prioritize. And But I do agree that AI will have some very positive, but also some negative effects. The positive effect, some would say, is that it can make things very efficient. And some, mm. uh, as people already know right now from ChatGPT, I know some employers are impl using the tool to, you know, make their processes more efficient, you know. And some students are also making it to, you know, write their essays and so on. And um, it depends na kung where people stand on the use of this tool, but we all agree that it can make things more efficient. But the negative thing that could happen from this is that it disrupts jobs. This is the one of the biggest concerns that I've heard. That is definitely true. That is a negative effect to certain kinds of certain kinds of employee, but um, it could also lead into a bigger change into what kinds of work will we even employ people to do diba so if we can automate if we can automate certain kinds of jobs that will require you know yung mga, especially the more labor intensive jobs a lot some some technology leaders are saying that those could be replaced by ai so what then are we going to employ people for what kinds of jobs are we going to give people and this is this has led to some um conversations about upskilling yourself so you know giving yourself skills such that you won't be replaced by ai and some people are saying no you know you should learn about communication or copywriting or coding but even that is also being taken over by ai so it's all a very messy thing and i we it remains to be seen where exactly we will go okay I'm interested also, and probably a lot of people, about your life as a student there. No, uh, MIT is known as being very rigorous, and obviously, even if you're smart, everyone there is smart. No, so, uh, and, and it's, it's quite competitive. But, you know, and and go and going through your your Twitter feed and your social media. No, I mean, uh, it hasn't always been easy for you, apparently. No, uh, you know, people might think, oh, she's so smart. She's you know, she's done this and that. Life is so easy for her. But you know, in May 2021, you tweeted, I'm going to say it plain and simple, I'm tired and burned out. No, I mean, it was quite, it sounded worrisome. No, I, I mean, did your parents read that? I mean, if I were, I mean, I'm a parent. If I, if I read my college student son uh, tweeting that, I'd be a bit worried. Looking back, I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, obviously you survived that and, you, you know, you're doing well despite uh, whatever happened in, in school. But how difficult was school for you uh, people might think it's so. It was so easy since you, you know, you graduated with all of these honors. But were you were you really uh, burning out at one point? For me, school was very difficult, but I I really wanted to work hard, and I had very clear goals that I wanted to set for myself. Like, oh, I wanted to get into this grad school so I could do this kind of research. So I had very clear goals, but the process to get to that was very difficult. 
And the reason why I wanted to tweet that was one, I was tired, but also number two, I wanted to normalize feelings of tiredness or normalize, you know, a sense of failure. Because when people talk to me on, or when they see me talk about my journey in public, they tend to think that, oh, I'm perfect or, you know, everything is easy, as you said, but these journeys are very difficult. And I wanted to, you know, talk about those very openly so that people can recognize all the different dimensions of being, you know, a young student in that time in 2021. And, Yun, um, I think it's healthy to acknowledge that, especially for me with a platform. Um, I'm not out of the ordinary, in my opinion. I'm just a student who has goals and I want to make, I want to inspire other people to feel like, oh, we're all the same. Well, obviously that that attitude has, has worked out, no? Uh, but another thing you tweeted, no? Uh, college is just an endless cycle of feeling big brain one moment and then small brain the next, no? What did you mean by that? Yes. This is yes. back in, sorry, I, I, this is way back. I don't know if you recall tweeting all these things, no? But uh, this is May 28, 2021. <laughs> I'm just mm -hmm. highlighting what, what kind of stood yeah. out for me, you know, in terms yeah. of... Yun nga, something that surprised me about you na, you know, I mean, you had these mood swings, no? Uh, so what, what, what is feeling big brain one moment and then small brain? Is that just a matter of feeling smart and feeling dumb or, or what? Kind of like that. So um, for me, I think it's kind of, it's normal in the journey of, you know, acquiring knowledge when at one point when this concept, oh, you feel so big brain, like, oh, I finally understand it. But the next day, you find out, oh, the thing that I just learned actually is in this bigger context of facts and knowledge. And the thing I just learned is actually just a small part of that. And you start realizing how little you know, so you feel small brain, which is a very colloquial way <laughs> of putting it. And uh, I think it's very natural for people to feel that way. Now, oh, I get this, and actually, I don't get it. I get this, I don't get it. Um, but it also kind of hints at... Um, I was also trying to hint at bigger feelings of imposter syndrome, which is another big, another salient feeling that many young people feel. Now, oh, I feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like... Um, I'm not smart enough to be in this college. And I was definitely feeling that for a lot of MIT. And actually, until now, this is a feeling that I want to highlight as well as, you know, being normal, especially for women. Women tend to feel a lot more imposter syndrome than men. This has been a well-studied phenomenon. And as a woman trying to inspire younger women to get into science, I want to tell them that it is part of your journey to feel that way. And it is our work to, you know, to try to minimize, to acknowledge that this feeling is valid, but also try to minimize feelings like this in the future. What things can we change so that we don't, um, so that this imposter syndrome is less pressing? What have you missed about the Philippines? The food. <laughs> so the thing I miss a lot about the Philippines is the food. That's why I've been cooking biko and adobo here in the US. Um, but I also miss the warmth of the Philippines. I've noticed that being in the US, friendships don't form as easily. And also when you meet people for the first time, people aren't very open. They have a lot more boundaries about what they're willing to share. Pero 
in the Philippines, you just go up to someone and then within five minutes, you start talking about what's bothering you. <laughs> Here yeah. in the US, I noticed that it takes at least three meet three one hour meetings or three, you know, food um food meetups to even get to that point. So I think I I really miss that kind of warmth or the feeling of parang close na kayo kaagad, even if you had just met the person. Yeah, but uh Filipinos that's why Filipinos in the US and other countries they tend to flock to each other. <laughs> Partly for that reason. And and so don't you? I don't only you hang out actually, with other Filipinos? I didn't find them very early on. So part of that was because of COVID. So I couldn't really socialize with a lot of Filipinos. And the next thing was that there weren't many Filipinos um, coming from the Philippines in MIT. So there were you know, only a handful of us, less than 10 um, Filipinos in MIT. There were more Philams, of course. So I only really started finding a Filipino community here after um, Lenny Robredo came to Harvard. And then <laughs> so many of us went there and then we all met each other. And that was where I started finding a network of, you know, Filipino scholars and academics. And it happened. It was pretty recent. So I didn't find my community early on. Yeah. Well, speaking of food, no, I, I recall one of your one of your posts where you where you describe traveling five hours just to go to Jollibee. No, so <laughs> yes. uh, I, I guess there's no Jollibee in Boston, no. So I guess you know the no. Times Square or sa, yes. sa Queens yes, or uh, Times Square. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, five five hours. New York is five hours away from. Uh, yeah, Boston? it's a five-hour bus ride. Okay. between Boston and New York. Okay. Um, you're from Leyte, no? Uh, a part of Leyte that was. Um, really hit hard by uh, Typhoon Yolanda. Your international name, of course, is Haiyan. No, you've said that Super Typhoon Haiyan uh, or or Yolanda and uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic uh, were cases where better science communication could have saved thousands of lives. No, uh, paano? Paano? I mean, for example, super, Okay, let's start with Haiyan. Okay. Um, I can understand yun sa COVID, no? Uh, pero how could science communication have saved more lives during Typhoon uh, Yolanda? I suppose the science communication before the typhoon hit, di ba? Or, or what were you talking about when you said that science communication could have saved people from being killed by Typhoon Yolanda? One thing was my own experience. So my own experience was that I personally didn't even know what a storm surge was, which means that there was really not enough education on what storm surges were and what their what risks they carried. And this was not true just for me. This was true for many other people and in the region. And the, as a result, people didn't appreciate what kind of risks they carried, how bad it could have been. How old and were you then? I was 14. I was 14. But you were already interested in science. And, yes. You know. So already... someone like you, who's already you know, a future MIT student, uh, <laughs> even someone like you didn't know what a storm surge was. Ano pa kaya yung ordinaryong tao? Yeah. Diba? Parang yeah. Uh -oh. But I mean, even ordinary people who, you know, who, yung mga isda, they probably know more about storm surges than I do. Of course, they, they would know. But um, another thing that was actually studied as well um professor raul lejano in nyu he he studied this on you know he conducted several interviews on what how exactly 
communication was done during um, before Haiyan. And he found out that it was really not just the information that was transmitted was inadequate. The information transmission system was also inadequate. So mm. aside from not telling, aside from not being good at telling us what a storm surge was, how mm. the storm surge information was delivered to people and communities was not very, very good. So one key finding in that research was that when Pagasa does um, weather bulletins, it does it in a very hierarchical way. So Mulasa, you know, your central office in NCR, they transmit this information to the regional level, to the town, to the city level, and even um, the barangay level. During these transmission um, to the different um, jurisdictions, the message doesn't change. And that's unfortunate because the context in which this message should be put should change. So yung message from NCR and the message from this um, from this seaside sitio or barangay should be different because this seaside sitio should um, the message to them should be contextualized in what they should expect in their own town. So what should we expect in terms of wind? What should we expect in terms of um, sea level rise or how how do our infra um how how does our architecture or infrastructure how could how does it how will this storm interact with our infrastructure specifically like kung kubo kubo yung meron dito or kung yung malalaking bahay how would that um how would the storm look like in these different contexts and that was one of the key things that they found that because the context of the message didn't change and because the you know officials in charge of transmitting these weather bulletins didn't feel um didn't feel like they could add context because the message dapat yun lang talaga no more no less and this kind of um strict and hierarchical information um information transmission uh chain made it very hard for the local communities to really understand what the storm surge meant and one interesting thing also was that you saw one of the key key Haiyan weather bulletins. Yung storm surge is parang isa lang parang footnote lang siya at that time, and that was, and that's very surprising given how the storm surge was actually the most damaging part of the storm. So mm-hmm. it really required contextualizing at all the different levels, and I think if that happened, that could have also saved more lives. And then, I mean, looking back now, what would have been the best ways of? I mean, kunyari, the mess, the, the someone got the message right. How should it have been communicated? I mean, how? I mean, what like some mga mga fishermen, mga ordinaryong tao, should it have been through like radio or online? You're mostly an online person, no? Uh, you know, you're on YouTube, etc. No, but would that have been? Should that have been the chosen medium for most of these for most of this messaging? It's all about context. So there are um, for the young people. If you want to reach them, then of course reach to the, them through social media and online. But there are also some contexts, like for example, in certain barangays, na their information is transmitted orally. Then definitely do that orally, um, mm. and that's why important talaga na yung message is transmitted 
in a very contextualized way na dapat it's specific to the kinds of people that you're trying to reach because you you know you can't reach um smaller barangays where there's not very good english literacy you can't reach mm-hmm. them with the preset um weather bulletin from pag-asa na written in english so you have to translate that into the local vernacular but not only translate it into the local vernacular tell them what it really means like what should they see in the storm what should they expect in very real and concrete terms so hindi hindi enough na ita translate lang to the local vernacular if you really want to save lives with communication i'm going to ask you now about advice uh that you would give to students who are thinking now you no know, how to be like you, you no know? i'm smart i'm good in science you know how do i get to mit how do i get to you know a prestigious uh school overseas you no know? because uh you've said previously you no know, sabi mo uh, i sincerely believe every single pisay student or student from philippine science uh, high school can get into a school abroad no doubt you no know? but Almost no one can afford to pay at least $55,000 a year. Is that tuition lang or does that include like board and lodging and all the ex- all in a bayon or tuition lang yun? It depends, uh, it depends on which school. For of MIT, course. that's only tuition. But for some schools, it includes everything. So sa MIT, $55,000 a year, tuition lang. Mm-hmm. So the total hindi pa yung, cost hindi pa yung pagkain mo and all of that, mm-hmm. airfare to get there, etc. No? So, uh, okay. So I guess uh, uh, reading that, Parang sabi mo, almost no one can afford to pay at least $35,000 a year. So parang so a precise student who's talented thinking that he can get into a school abroad and you yourself say there's no doubt that kaya niya but he cannot afford it. Pero ikaw sabi mo nga kanina na you know you 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 didn't come from a well-off community. You went to a public school, you went to a public high school. Well, you made it to MIT. <laughs> I mean that requires. So ayun nga. So why, why, why close the door on others when you yourself made it, diba? So Oh no. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, nga. So uh, there must have been a way, right? Um, yeah. To be able to well, do it. I'd like to clarify that, but um, because that was the that tweet was in the context of this one Pisai student who mm. applied to uh, a school in the U.S. and then he got in, pero hindi siya nakakuha ng financial aid, and. Okay. The problem with that was um, they, he also had to fundraise for the initial deposit to get into the university. And yung fundraising niya, it went viral. And I really commend him for the efforts to do all that fundraising. And it was just very unfortunate na, um, at, I think at the end of it all, hindi siya natuloy kasi I think his visa got denied. Um, I need to... Really? Yeah, I mean, nakapasok ka sa isang prestigious school and, you know, uh, you're, you're yeah. such a great, you know, from the bootstraps kind of story and then i-deny ka ng U.S. government. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty, yeah. medyo masaklap yun, ha? It actually, it's a very unfortunate story that happens to many students. And so that was my context and that's why I was talking about Pisay students specifically. Now, I believe Pisay students, um, given how talented they are, could get into a U.S. university. But I, I didn't mean to say that I was closing the door on these other talented students. I just wanted to give people, you know, some kind of a reality check Na yes, getting into these schools is amazing, but it's unfortunate that 
students can't pursue these amazing opportunities just because of how expensive they are. So I wanted to highlight more of okay. the the hardships of getting of money to get to your dreams. And so I was I was commenting on that and so that was one side of the story but there's also other kinds of students who are who've been very successful in getting financial aid. And so that's why when people want to go to school abroad, I encourage them to find schools that give financial aid to international students because there are certain schools that give a lot of financial aid to international students. So for example, you know, the big schools Harvard, MIT, Princeton, Yale, Amherst College, they're all very good schools and as long as you get in, regardless of your financial need or whatnot, they will um they will give you 100 as much as the money that you need to get in there. But there's also other schools that give merit-based financial aid. So they they ask you to write a letter or they ask you to submit a resume in order to get a scholarship and that's a different mm-hmm. kind of financial aid mm-hmm. and so to all the students who aspire for um to aspire to go to schools abroad or in the US prioritize your financial situation um thinking about your financial situation first and that doesn't mean that there aren't schools that will give you financial aid there are you just have to look for them and mm-hmm. Um so that's why it's important because a lot of a lot of students get very excited by the idea of going to school abroad pero it's it it sucks because they get very mm-hmm. excited about the dream that they forget about the real costs the real financial costs of going there so i recommend thinking about the money <laughs> and the dream at the same time yes and, and but yeah. but i also wanted to add that going to school abroad isn't the only good dream out there you know cuz we as a parang there has been so much hype about all these young filipino students getting into schools abroad and yes of course we should celebrate them um this is a great achievement and it requires great courage to even apply in the first place but i want to add that there are also amazing things to do in the philippines now the only great things to do aren't just outside the philippines there are amazing you can be successful and amazing if you stay in the philippines as well well and then speaking of which now you've spoken about returning to the philippines uh, you've you've said uh, that uh, you know you plan to take home to the philippines whatever you learn and you know use it for you know the for for the country uh, you might have said this like a couple of years ago no so now that you've graduated from mit and you're you're in this you're going to be in this doctoral program studying something really complex and specialized uh at the University of Chicago. Do you still feel the same way uh about returning to the Philippines? Mhm. Absolutely. I still feel the same way. The only thing that's very uncertain for me is how exactly I will do that. I have I feel a very strong <laughs> sense of obligation na bumalik sa Pilipinas because that's really where, you know, that's the country where I'm from. That's the community that I know and I really feel that I personally can make a big impact there if I just bring all of the things that I've learned here. But the only thing I so I'm fairly certain about going to the Philippines. The only uncertainty is how and when I will do that. How exactly um what job will I take to do this or when exactly in my career will I do that? But given my strong sense of obligation to um to the Philippines, I know na babalik talaga. <laughs> 
Well, I'm 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 happy to hear that, and you know, I wasn't, I really wasn't uh, trying to cast doubt on your sincerity about returning to the Philippines. Uh, it's just that, siempre iba yung intellectual community jan eh, iba. Uh, when you're talking to some of the leading minds of your field, which you're not going to find in the Philippines, let's face it, there aren't too many you know people who have studied astrophysics and you know the. The, the oldest galaxies in the universe. Wala masyadong, baka wala kang makausap uh, sa Pilipinas tungkol dyan. You know? So, I, I guess that's also what motivates a lot of accomplished Filipinos uh, to stay at institutions uh, overseas and, you know, in other countries. It's just that, you know, that's where they find, you know, this the intellectual challenge. Um, uh, I guess it's like sport, di ba? I mean, if you're a world-class athlete, why do you want to stay... Uh, just competing against other Filipinos, being in the Philippines, you know, even if you think you're contributing to Philippine sport, you want to compete with the best. You want to be with the best, diba? And obviously, the, be the best is where you are right now, diba? Uh, so anyway, you don't really need to know where you're going to go because that's right now, because that's going to be four years ago, four years from now or so, you know? So uh, no, no, I don't mean to put you on the spot about making a commitment to go to the Philippines. I'm just wondering if these thoughts have entered your mind about uh, you know, you've had these four years of interacting with people at MIT. Now you're going to have another several years at the University of Chicago. And I can imagine, uh, pag-uwi mo, I mean, sinong kausap mo, no? About all of these, you know, complex, complex things. No? Uh, That's the good thing about having all of these things like Zoom. Because, you know, people, um, these networks of... Um, these net networks of scientists can extend everywhere in the world now, and that's a very democratizing factor. But okay. um, yun um, there really isn't that much of a community, especially in astrophysics, because you need facilities um, to have to do astrophysics, and that def that definitely is parang a weak spot in in the Philippines. But my focus. But who, when are we going to start, you know, building that community? So if wala kong kausap ngayon, if wala kong makakausap in the near future, then who should start making that community of people? And I feel like I want to be part of that um, group of people who want to build that community, you know, mentoring the younger students, na, um, getting them interested in astronomy and making um, a scholarly community in the Philippines. And there's already been very good work done right now in starting that community, particularly in UP Diliman, the National Institute of Physics. So see si Dr. Reina Reyes, chaka si Dr. Ian Vega, they're both doing, they both have astronomy, um, astrophysics related backgrounds, and they return to the Philippines and they're mentoring their own students and they're producing, um, given the short time that their research groups have been around, they've made um, so many contributions now. And I think it's very amazing to see that in real time. And in the future, um, I want to, you know, help do that kind of thing. But I'm not sure exactly how I will do that. <laughs> but it, it is happening, um, building that scholarly community. Well, that's uh, that's been very, uh, this has been very uplifting, uh, Hillary. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm so happy to hear that. And um, it's been a, a real pleasure to talk to you. Uh, we're all proud of you, uh, Hillary, and we're looking forward to what you'll become. And contribute to the world and not just to our country. Mabuhay ka. Uh, Hillary oh, Diane Andales, new MIT graduate uh, who has graduated with uh, many honors and now incoming PhD student in astronomy and astrophysics at the University of Chicago. Maraming maraming salamat for this interview.
Thanks for listening, Podmates. Download this episode so you can listen to it anytime, anywhere. Stay safe, Podmates.